Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Speak to us today. Lead us and guide us into the truths you have for us. Give me utterance in the Holy Spirit to speak the word boldly and accurately as I ought to speak it. Give the people ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church today, and we'll give you all the praise, glory, and honor for it. And I pray that these words, these messages, and these books will go out into the world so the seeds uh, of, of the Holy Spirit and this baptism into the lives of many, many people. And we give you thanksgiving for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what makes us different? Primarily, what makes us different than other denominations and other strains or rivers in the church is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It just, it's just a fact. You don't, you don't have to argue it or fight it. or it's, it's, It doesn't mean that God loves one group more than the other. But once a person gets filled with the Holy Ghost and receives this gift we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they just can't be happy in a non-Holy Spirit church. And a person who's not received the gift of the Holy Spirit has a very difficult time feeling at home in a spirit-filled church. It is a divider. It is like a line in the sand. And, and I just have to say, God knew this, but he gave the gift anyway. Now, if I'd have been God, I would have filled people with the Holy Ghost when they got saved before they got off their knees. They would have gotten saved and filled with the Holy Ghost instantly, and there wouldn't be any Baptists. We'd all be charismatics. Every Christian would be instantly be a charismatic. But God didn't do it that way. It's a separate experience. And one of the reasons that I believe he didn't, and, and, I, and, I, and I do this in the question and answers in the back, but one of the reasons I believe he didn't is he didn't want anyone to go to hell because they had a problem with speaking in tongues. So rather than, than, than make it all or nothing, he divided it up into salvation and then the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I think that's important for us to know. And, it's, and, and so it's not that these people are bad people or they're, they're, they're not hungry for God, they don't love God, or God doesn't love them. They haven't seen what we see and they haven't received what we've received. But since we have, we have responsibility. A spirit-filled church today has a responsibility and, uh, and, and, and we need to take that seriously. And one of our responsibilities is to get this gift to other people. And I don't see that as much anymore, people pr- promoting this as, as, as they did during the charismatic move, but we need to get back to it. The church needs to get spirit-filled. Yeah. Yeah. You want to deal with the issues of today, the pressure uh, of today, we need to be spirit-filled. So let's go to Acts 19, and, and, um, and I'll just give you this up front. Most of what we know about the gift of the Holy Spirit comes from four places in the book of Acts. There's another place, but, but it doesn't give us many details. But, and we will refer to these four places as much as we can during this teaching. But four places in the book of Acts, and then, for, uh, of course, 1 Corinthians 14, we learn a lot about speaking in tongues. But as far as we're, as the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's in Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19. Most of what we know 
comes from those four incidents where we see people being filled with the Holy Ghost. That's Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19. And we'll go to Acts 19 first because it, it, it shows us how important this was, at least to the Apostle Paul. It's in, uh, in Acts uh, 19 and um, starting verse, yeah, just give me a second. No, let's go to uh, verse 1. Uh, verse 1, while Paul was ministering in Corinth, he traveled through, uh, on, on the, I'm reading this from the Passion Translation, he was traveled on, the, on through the regions of Turkey until he arrived in Ephesus where he found a group of 12 followers of Jesus. The first thing he asked them was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? No, they replied, we have not heard of a Holy Spirit. Do you know how many people are alive today that could say that very same thing? Yeah. It, we were better off, we were better off 30 years ago in the charismatic renewal where everybody in the world knew about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and they said we were of the devil, we were a cult, speaking in tongues is not for today. We were better off then, at least people knew about it. Now they don't even know about it. They can't even make the decision. And so we've got to change that. Paul decided these guys are, are disciples. They actually turned out to be disciples of John. Go ahead and let's read on. In verse 3, Paul asked, Then what was the meaning of your baptism? And they said, It meant that we would follow John's teaching. And Paul said, John's baptism was for those who were turning from their sins. He taught you to believe in and follow the one who was coming after him, Jesus, the anointed one. When they understood this, they were baptized into the authority of Jesus, the anointed one. And then Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit manifested, and they immediately spoke in tongues and prophesied. So, so here's Paul dealing with these disciples. He didn't know exactly what their history was. He just knew they were committed to God. But he, he sensed instinctively you're missing something. Isn't that interesting? They're missing something. And he said, have you been spirit-filled? Have you been filled with the Holy Ghost? Isn't that great? Paul knew he was, he was going around. He probably did this often. Uh, of course, he planted churches and got people saved. But he wanted them to be spirit-filled. He wasn't going to leave them alone. He didn't worry about offending them. He, he thought, you need something else. You need some more power. Don't people need that today? So Paul thought that they'd been saved, but they hadn't yet been spirit-filled. Turns out they only knew about the baptism of John, so they hadn't even been saved. So what does Paul do? He tells them about Jesus. He updates them, gives them the gospel, baptizes them in water, and then he laid his hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they started speaking in tongues. Doesn't that sound scriptural? It's all in order. It's all in the right order. And, uh, and man, this has been happening uh, for thousands of years. I love the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Didn't, don't you appreciate John Osteen, how he always preached on the Holy Ghost? He'd always bring that up. He was such a product of the charismatic movement and such a leader and that we need this again. The church needs to be spirit-filled. 
So let me give you a few high-profile people who were promoters of this gift. We just saw how Paul promoted the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, when Peter preached his famous sermon, he said, this gift is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So he was promoting, Peter was promoting not only salvation, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he called it a promise. Jesus also called it a promise. In John 7, 37, he said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And it went on to say, This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the Holy Spirit in this form has not been available throughout history. It actually started, this, this thing started on the day of Pentecost which is why we call it Pentecostal. But Pentecost was a Jewish feast. They celebrated it every year. So, so the, 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 the history of this is amazing. Remember Jesus ate Passover with the disciples? He ate the Passover. That's another feast. And so the feast of Passover was very important. And they had this meal, and it, talked, it, it, it remembered when they came out of Egypt, and the death angel passed over the children of Israel, and, and, and the Egyptian children firstborn were killed. So it celebrated the fact that they put the blood on the doorpost. It was all symbolic. And there they were eating this Passover meal and eating the unleavened bread and drinking the, the wine, and Jesus updated that whole process and said, this is my body, this is my blood. He, he said, all these years you've been eating this, this lamb, and, and, and you've been eating this bread. It represented me. He updated them. He said, I've, I've wanted to eat this supper with you, and I've looked forward to it. And, and he did, and, and he made it into something we still celebrate today, Holy Communion. That happened at Passover. Well, 50 days later was the celebration of Pentecost, which is, which is powerful. It's the beginning of harvest. The beginning of that's significant. So Passover was in the spring, and then early, early spring. And then 50 days later, it was the beginning of wheat harvest. So, so they didn't, Jesus didn't tell them that the next 50 days are going to be the most consequential days in the history of the world. And you're going to be up and down. It's going to be rough. But it's all going to change on the day of Pentecost. He didn't tell them that. All he said was, this is my body, this is my blood, and, and, he, he didn't, and he died, and he was raised from the dead. Anybody know what he did for the next 40 days? He showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. For 40 days, well, there was three days there, death, burial, and resurrection, and then 40 days, well, in another seven days, it's going to be Pentecost. But at 40 days, Jesus said, uh, uh, go into the city of Jerusalem. He also promoted this gift. Luke 24, 49, go to the city of Jerusalem and tarry until you be endued with power from on high. In Acts 1, 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses. In Acts 1, uh, it, it talks about how he talked to them on the mount before he ascended. They didn't know he was going to ascend. They thought they were just having a meeting on this mountain and he's talking to them about the Holy Spirit. And they're asking, as usual, the wrong questions. They're saying, are you going to restore the kingdom? He says, you know, you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost. Are you going to restore it? It's not for you to know the times and seasons. 
but you're going to have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you what you need to know right now, and you're not listening. And then he ascended to heaven. And they watched him go up into heaven, and they're like, he is constantly surprising us. We never know what he's going to do next. And they're waiting. Maybe he's going to come back. And the angel had to tell them, hey, he's not coming back right now. He's going to come like you saw him go, but right now you need to go do what he said. Well, what did he say? I mean, we thought he was going to take the throne. and No, you're supposed to go back to Jerusalem and wait. So they at least did that, not all of them, because there was 500 that watched him go up and heard the command, and only 120 were left, but they went back and waited. And I can see this because I've done the same thing. I've gone to church and waited and prayed and sought the Lord day after day after day. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what the gift was going to look like or feel like. They'd never been in a Pentecostal service before. They'd never seen a Pentecostal service. They'd never seen a charismatic. They'd never heard a sermon on, on it. All they'd heard is a few promises throughout Scripture about this experience. So they went back to Jerusalem not knowing how long they're going to wait, but it happened to be about seven or eight to ten days, depending on when the Passover was exactly. It was 50 days later. And, and, and can you imagine them? They don't know what they're waiting for. You know, there's people all over the world today that want something and they don't know what it is. I know what it is. I know what you want. It's right here. You want this is what you want. So there they were. And I could just see them walking around. All day. Peter? Yeah. Do you have it? I don't think so. Do you have it? I thought I did, but I don't think I do. Well, how are we going to know when we get it? I don't know. Let's just stay here. See you tomorrow. They came back. They did it again all day long. You got the gift? No, I don't think so. Thomas, you got it? No, I probably will never get it. <laughs> Not work for me. Another day goes by. Same thing. Same thing. Isn't that powerful? I assume, guys, I assume we'll know when we get it. He didn't really describe it. Boy, did they not know what they were getting into. I go back to being a Methodist boy in a Methodist church. I was a candlelighter in the Methodist church as a boy. I had a little thing, and everybody would sit down, and they'd play the music, and we, me and another little boy would walk down the aisle and light the candle and sit on the front row. It was so safe and orderly and predictable. And the pastors taught the nicest sermons. It just made you feel so good. And then I'd go put the candle out. The candlelighter had a little cup on the bottom. And, we'll, and then after the service, then they give us the signal, and we go put the candle out and walk out. It was just orderly. And then I got hungry for God. I didn't know what it was going to look like, sound like. I didn't know it was going to make me a freak <laughs> to my own church that I grew up in. I didn't realize, but I didn't care. I wanted the gift. I want more. And because I was in the Methodist church, I'd never been taught against anything. We were nice people. We didn't fight. 
we didn't argue, we wouldn't know what to argue. You know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll inherit the earth. You know, we were in the, to the Beatitudes. We didn't know anything. So when I heard about God still does miracles, I said, yes. God still, the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I said, I want them. And, and, and boy, when you begin to desire these things, that's the key to, to getting them. You're going to find a way. So there they were. Let's just go to Acts 2. We might as well. You've already got me off track here. <laughs> Acts 2 and, and verse 1. And I'll go back to the New King James for this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Well, they'd been there for at least a week every day in this upper room waiting for this. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound, and the King James says noise, I like that word better, noise. Everybody say noise. noise. Somehow the gift of the Holy Spirit is noisy. That was opposite of what we experienced in our church. Nothing was noisy. There were no amens, no clapping, no shouting, no praising. There was singing hymns and then listening to the pastor, but there wasn't noise. One of the things that shocked me about the Spirit-filled movement was the noise, along with the freedom of worship. Well, it all started on this day. It all start. This is not the plan of men. This was not the decision of a committee. God told them, you wait for this gift. You're not going to know what it's like, what it looks like, feels like, or sounds like. You just go wait, and I'll do the rest. And boy, did he. They got filled with the Spirit and began to make noise. And the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Are not all these Galileans? And how is it they speak in our language? And then if you go on down, it says in verse 12, They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? They're still amazed and perplexed. This is the most amazing and perplexing thing that happens in the world is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's supposed to be that way. God did this. Don't you love God? It's like, why would you do this? This, this thing. Why would you? Because he's God and he knows what we need. And others, and this still happens today, others mocking said they're full of new wine. So there was people that didn't understand it. There was people that did and embraced it. There were other people that mocked it and persecuted them and criticized them and and said all kinds of, of untruths about this experience. And the same thing happens today. This was just the first one. Isn't that cool? We, this is our heritage. You know, I was in a service, like I said, being a Methodist boy, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would ever be a Holy Ghost preacher. I wanted to be an airplane pilot. 
And so being a Holy Ghost preacher, you're not responsible for everything that happens. And things happen that are surprising and perplexing and amazing. And I was in a service one time, and it just got wild. I mean, the Holy Ghost just fell. And, and people were, some of the most dignified-looking people were laughing and staggering and rolling on the floor. And I'm standing there watching this thinking, if my Methodist friends could see me now, <laughs> how did I get in a place like this? I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't know how to start it. It was God. And the Lord spoke to me, and I want to speak this to you. He said, this is your birthright. Don't despise it. Remember what happened when Esau despised his birthright? You know, his birthright was being the heir of Abraham and Isaac. But, but our birthright is the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit and the, and the power of this gift on life. And we should embrace that. And they can make fun of us all they want, but that's my birthright. I identify with those people. I've been on the floor. I've been drunk. I've been undignified. I've laughed. I've cried. I've rolled. I've run. All of those things have happened. Isn't that great? That's our birthright. God waited a long time to deposit this gift and make it available to the world. And he was the most excited person in the world on the day of Pentecost because he finally got to pour out his spirit, Joel said, on all Flesh. You ever been around kids and you just want to hug them? You know, you just, something about kids, you just, it's not enough to have a little conversation. Let's just hug them, you know? Don't talk. Just, just come over here and sit on my lap. Just, 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 just talk. Just, just sit here and let's just be close. God's like that. He I want to get on you. I want to be in you. I want to move through you. I want to get all over your flesh, and I want you to speak in tongues and just totally lose control. Would you do that for me? I sure would. I'll, I'll do it for him. He loves it. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions on my servants and on my handmaids. He said, there's no one left out of this. I can do this for everyone. Isn't that powerful? Mm, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I went with Brother Hankins. I'm sure you've heard Pastor Rusty talk about Brother Hankins in West Columbia. He used to go to Israel every year, take tours. George Martin went. He was my roommate. George had a problem snoring. I didn't know this. And so, uh, but we went to Israel, and and uh, it was a it was a wonderful trip. I'm so glad that I went, and and one of the stops on the tour was what they call the upper room, and and it, and it's not the original upper room, obviously that one, gone long ago. But they said it's in the same vicinity, and it's built in the same pattern, and it's 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 authentic enough to be on the tour. And so every year, every time they did a tour, they went. And Brother Hankins said, you know, we want to go to the upper room early. We want to get there early and have a service. And if we go there, there won't be anybody there but us, and we can have our own service in the upper room. So we get on the bus that morning, and we're going to the upper room, and he looked at me, and he said, I want you to do the service. I said, okay. So we get there, and we go upstairs, and it's an upper room. 
and it's got windows, you know, and 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 uh, it's kind of echoes because it's cement, you know. And I can see how that would be something that people outside could hear. So anyway, we we were there, and I thought, well, I mean, it's it's the upper room. I'm going to just start in Acts chapter two. <laughs> so I opened my my Bible and I started reading Acts chapter two. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And I kept reading, and the more I read, the more the Holy Ghost fell. There's like 40 people there, and I mean the Holy Ghost fell on us. You say, well, how do you know the Holy Ghost fell? Did you see him? No, you can't see the Holy Ghost. Jesus said the kingdom, the Spirit's like the wind. You can't see where it comes from. You can't see where it goes, but you can see what the wind blows on. And that's the problem people have with the Holy Spirit if they're a spectator. If you're a spectator, you're going, there's no reason for those people to act like that. That would be like being that would be like standing in a in the house looking out the window at a tree that's going like this, and you're going, I don't understand why that tree has to be so expressive. <laughs> I mean, look at that thing move. There's no reason. There's no need for all that excessive emotion. Well, you can't see the wind blowing that tree. If you were outside, you would totally get it. So the Spirit blows in like that. He doesn't blow on rocks. Trees don't do a thing to a rock. I mean, wind. You see what I'm saying? It's unresponsive. But a person who's hungry for God, who's Spirit-filled, who's open, they feel that wind. It's like sticking your finger in an electrical socket, which is another invisible thing. If you stuck your finger in a socket, you would probably react, wouldn't you? And you're going, there's no need for all that emotion. We're dignified. Can you please hold it down? You don't know what I felt. So the Holy Spirit blows in to the authentic, unauthentic upper room. 2,000 years later, I'm reading the book of Acts. The Holy Ghost falls. And you know what happens? People start doing what they do. There's no script. Some of them are praising and others are making noises. You know, and some laughing, some crying, some on the floor. I, I kept reading and the place got louder and louder until they couldn't hear me. I didn't have a sound system. So I just stopped. They couldn't hear me anyway, and I just watched. It was wonderful. It was amazing. It was the Holy Spirit, a reenactment. I thought, this is an object. I get to see this with my own eyes. God's still doing it. He never stopped doing it. He's still doing the same thing. And, 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 and as I'm standing there just beholding this chaos, another tour group came up the stairs. They were not spirit-filled people. And I could tell because I was facing the back. No one else saw them. I saw them come up the stairwell, come out, and stop in horror, and back, back down the stairwell, and peek around. the. They were scared. Well, Brother Beebe saw it, too, and he goes, let's shut this down. I said, shut it down. I didn't start it. I don't know how to shut it down. No, you can't. How do you stop this? 
He said, well, let's get them out. So, so I started taking people and taking them down the stairs, you know, up and down. I'm trying to get people out so the next group can have their tour. And I heard them commenting. They were horrified. They were saying, in public, these people, they're doing this in public. How dare they? This is so rude. It's so annoying. It's so offensive. In public. And I wanted to say, public? It's the upper room. You should pay us. It wouldn't even be on the tour if it weren't for this. I know we're having a complete reenactment of the entire thing along with the skeptics. We're all in place. We got the Holy Ghost. We got the spirit-filled people. We got the critics. Everything's... Every position's filled. It's still happening the same as it ever was. And I'm going to tell you something. If I had a thousand opportunities to be involved in that scenario, I'd be one of the crazy people every single time. Not one time would I want to miss that blessing and be a skeptic looking on from the outside. Thank God we're filled with the Holy Ghost. It is the absolute best experience that you'll ever have, second only to salvation. Nothing will change your life more. We need to get the church full of the Holy Ghost. Even at the expense of offending them. And and really, I mean, think about it. Offend them. We have been, we have had every form of perversion and immorality and craziness shoved down our throats. Every single form of perversion and cult behavior has come out of the closet. Except Pentecostals. The only person in the closet now are Pentecostals. We're afraid we're going to offend someone with speaking in tongues. Really? They don't even know which bathroom to go to. Are you sure that they're not ready for this? They're changing their gender. You you don't think they're ready for tongues? I say, let's all get out of the closet. Let's all come out. You speak in tongues? Yes, I do. You want to hear me? No, it's fine. It's okay. You know what I've found? Is the people that are most anti-tongues and Holy Spirit are Christians. Well, I don't care if I offend Christians. They'll get over it. We'll have eternity to get back. The world doesn't judge you for this. The world is so full of our own problems. They don't want you judging them. I guarantee you, you tell most non-Christians you speak in tongues, and they're going to be like, cool. Can you do it right now? You want a joint? I mean, you know, after what they did Friday night, they're certainly not going to judge you for what you want to do on Sundays. You see what I mean? 
They're so open, you wouldn't believe how open they would be to this. In fact, this is what they're looking for. And I don't understand the churches that are pulling back on this and not presenting it anymore. How, what are they trying to save? How, what are they trying to accomplish? You get a bunch of people in a room and they're, and, they're, and they're Christians, but they're not filled with the Holy Ghost. They're not even obeying Jesus. He said, go back to Jerusalem and wait until you get this power from on high. You need this gift. Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? He said, no, you need it. How much more do we need it today? And I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues tonight. I want to talk about that because that's really the, the they, don't, they may not like our excessive worship, but tongues really gives them a problem. That, that's a stumbling block. And we need to talk about it because I guarantee you, if it weren't necessary, God wouldn't have done it. He's not doing things just to make you look foolish or just to separate people or cause division. It's absolutely necessary. You know, God's never been one to withdraw something that blesses humanity because someone's going to abuse it or misunderstand it. Am I right? If, if he was, he, he would never have allowed the institution of marriage to go forward because some people have abused marriage. But he didn't say, okay, We'll solve this. No more marriage. No, even though people do it wrong, he still gives marriage. He still uh, causes the church to be financed by the free will offerings of the people. And, and then that causes its own problems. It's been abused. It's been both ways. People have kept the preacher too poor and the preacher's gotten too covetous and, and tried to extract money. out. God knew all that was going to happen, but he knew that it was going to bless many of us and he didn't want to keep that back just because somebody wasn't going to use it properly. Yeah. And the Holy Ghost is the same way. We must need this gift or he wouldn't have given it. There have been small wars fought over these things, and they must be important. Or the Lord would have said, you know what, just get saved and come to heaven. We'll, we'll take care of it. And no, he wants us to be saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Amen. In Acts chapter 10, you have the same thing. It's very similar to what happened in Acts 2. And this is uh, our friend Cornelius. It's nice that they, that, they, that they recorded this because Cornelius was a Gentile. Uh, and so he represents all of us. Aren't you glad Gentiles can be filled with the Holy Spirit? Woo, I'm so glad that Methodists can be filled with the Holy Spirit that Americans can be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we can have this gift. And so, uh, uh, you know, it was, it took, Peter had to see a vision and be spoken to directly from the Lord in order to get him to go preach to Gentiles. That's how <laughs> little he thought. He didn't think they could be saved and certainly didn't think they could be filled with the Spirit. And so when, when God told him to go with those men, he went. Now, there's a lot you can learn in this story of Cornelius and his household, but one of them was their expectancy was, was like, it was like uh, the, the air was filled with expectancy. I wish I could get God to do this for me, but an angel appeared to Cornelius and said, Hey, Cornelius, there's a guy named Peter. You need to get him here, and he's going to tell you something that you need to know. A secret. He's like, really? Yeah, he's in Joppa right now. 
Okay. So he sends some people to go get Peter, and he's telling all of his friends and family, there's a guy named Peter. How do you know? An angel appeared to me and, and told me to get this guy. And, and so they're going to get him right now. He'll be here any day. And so he, his house was filled with his family and his close friends, and they were all wanting to hear what this man has to say that the angel told. If I could just get an angel to go to my, the churches that I'm going to visit and say, hey, he's coming. He's going to tell you words that's going to change your life. By the time Peter got to Cornelius' house, they were so ready Cornelius couldn't help himself. He fell on his face and worshipped Peter. Peter said, wait. Now, I've been in churches where they did the opposite. You know, oh, it's you. <laughs> you can't operate in a place where people don't receive you well. But boy, they were ready for Peter's word. And if you read the sermon in Acts 10, he just preached the gospel. And uh, he talked about Jesus and his death and his burial. And when he got to the resurrection, here's what happened. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered and said, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now, this was years later. The same thing was happening in the church. Years later, the Holy Ghost was falling. People were getting filled and speaking in tongues, and people or other people were com confused and criticizing, but it's God, and it happened over and over and over again, and it's still happening today. Aren't you glad? It's still happening today. It hasn't been done away with. It's the same, we, we've got scriptural precedent uh, for the things that we do and the things that we believe, and, and it's just powerful. And so when I was 15, I, I couldn't stand it anymore. I had heard about the, the experience, the charismatic experience, and I wanted to be filled with the Spirit. What made it worse was my aunt and uncle came to visit our home, and we were still Methodists at the time, and my parents got filled with the Spirit. I had been the one praying for it. And my aunt and uncle prayed for my parents, and they got spirit-filled. And then it was like, come on. I didn't know how to pray and believe. I didn't know anything. You certainly couldn't get help at the Methodist church. <laughs> so so I, was, I, got, I was at an all-time level of desperation, hunger. Well, it just so happened that that year, they had a full gospel businessmen's world convention was in New Orleans. It was 1979. And, and all of the speakers were there. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. My dad took me down to New Orleans. We wanted to see this meeting. And I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Every charismatic speaker you could name were there in person, people I'd heard of. And I saw them, and I listened to them. Well, they had youth services in the evening, adult services. But the youth had their own hotel ballroom, different hotel. And we would meet there in the evening. Uh, for, for youth service, and we had our own singing uh, group. And so uh, our speaker was Norval Hayes. He had just started teaching the Bible. He was a business Christian businessman, and so instead of being a mainline speaker, they let him do the youth. I'm glad they let him practice on us. So he was our youth speaker. And on July 4th, he decided to have a service 
Now, I had been praying and praying and praying to be filled with the Spirit, and, and, and I, just did, I, just couldn't, I just couldn't do it by myself. I couldn't get it. So on July 4th, he decided to have a service specifically to get these youth filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what I needed. And he decided to have some of his friends come over and share on the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they shared about 15, 20 minutes each. It was John Osteen, Kenneth Hagin, and Norville Hayes. They all preached on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's Kenneth and Aretha and John and Dodie all sitting on the front row. They had an altar call, and 80 of us young people went forward, and nobody laid hands on us. Nobody touched us. The Holy Ghost fell. And that gift that I had struggled so hard to receive, I started speaking in tongues. And I have never been the same since that day. What a remarkable experience it was. The Holy Ghost fell on us. In fact, it was such a, a, a monumental service that Norval Hayes had a, a, a cassette tape called Dynamite, and he sold it for years of that service. And, and, uh, and so that was where I got swept up into the charismatic movement, and, and I've never been the same since. The Holy Ghost is still uh, a thing. He's, it hasn't been withdrawn. This gift is for whosoever will. And we, we need to help people. I'm going to help you um, with this tonight. We'll talk more about how to receive the gift, how to present it to others, and, and answer the questions that people have about speaking in tongues because I think that's important. So, so I immediately, we had to find a new church. We didn't fit in anymore. Nobody had to tell us. <laughs> Our pastor was scared of us. I mean, we came back different, and he knew it. It was like he didn't know what to do with us. So we found a church that was pastored by a Rama graduate in another town. And I was glad because I didn't want my friends to think I'm a nut. So I went to this charismatic church in another town where I didn't know anybody. And it was fit me just fine. And so it, um, in, in a year's time, the pastor asked me to do children's church. So I started doing children's church. One of the first services I preached to the, he, he had me do it a few weeks and then said, I want you to just be the children's pastor. I said, okay. He said, and well, I want you to preach to the whole church next week. I said, <gasps> he said, yeah, we'll have the kids come out. You preach to the, uh, the whole church. And it wasn't a big church, but it was adults and kids. And so I preached on the Holy Spirit. I didn't know much more. I knew I was saved, and I preached on salvation. I'd already done that. And then I preached on the Holy Spirit, because that's something I had done, and I knew about that. So I preached on the Holy Spirit. 22 kids raised their hands to be filled with the Spirit. So I had them come forward, and then we just went back to the back room. I had a helper. We took those 22 children back there, and all 22 of them started speaking in tongues. And I was hooked. That's like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And I've seen thousands of people spirit-filled since then. That was 40 years ago. Isn't that, isn't that cool? So on Saturday nights, we would meet and pray at our little church in this town. And, and we would, because I had to preach on Sunday, so I kind of ramrodded this prayer meeting. It was just me and a couple of friends and the pastor. And I wanted to pray because I had to preach on Sunday. So we'd meet on Saturday night. we pray. Sometimes we'd go play racquetball. And then we'd go to the church and pray, and we'd eat pizza and then go to the church. So one of my friends asked a mutual friend of ours, Clifford, to go with us. 
from my hometown. And I thought, this isn't a good idea. <laughs> so we asked Clifford to come with us to play racquetball and pizza. And by the way, we're going to go to church. And he just kind of dismissed that. Well, in the meantime, the friend that invited him couldn't make it on that Saturday night. So it's me and Clifford. And Clifford is in my class. I don't want my schoolmates to know that I'm at that church that they call a cult that, that, that speaks in tongues. I just didn't care. You know, I always thought, I don't care if you want what I got. I want what I have. I love God, and I don't care if you do or not. But uh, anyway, so Clifford is coming with us on Saturday. We pray for like an hour or two hours. He doesn't know anything. He's never been to a church, much less a charismatic church. He didn't go to church. And so I'm like, I got to stop this right now. I said, Cliff, you don't want to come. I said, if you want to go play racquetball, I'll do that. We can do that any day of the week. But you don't want to come on Saturday. He said, yeah, I want to come. I said, no, Cliff, you don't understand. We're going to play racquetball and eat pizza, but we're going to go to church after that. He said, I don't mind going to church. I said, no, no, no. You don't understand. We're going to go pray at church. He said, well, I don't mind praying. I said, no, you, we're going to pray for a long time. You don't want to go. He goes, yeah, yeah, I want to go. I said, Cliff, no, you don't want to go. Believe me. You don't want to go. He said, yeah, I do want to go. And so he went, and, and we did our racquetball and pizza, and we stopped at a gas station. The pastor was putting gas in his car, and I jumped out of the car, and I said, let us just go home. We don't need to go to church. Cliff don't know anything. He doesn't understand this. He can't. We're going to pray in tongues for two hours, and he's never even been to church. Let's just let him go home. Just let me take him home. And the pastor says, oh, it'll be fine. I thought, sure, your reputation's not going to be ruined. <laughs> he's going to go home and tell all my friends what a crazy cult I'm involved in. I was horrified. So I couldn't stop it. It's like this thing started and I was just, I couldn't stop it. So we got to church and there's about four or five of us and we got in a circle and the pastor says, Cliff, come on, we're going to pray. And he goes, okay. He said, Cliff, we're going to pray in tongues. Have you ever prayed in tongues? I thought, oh my. He says, have you ever prayed in tongues? And Cliff says, no, I never even heard of it. I thought, I knew, oh, this is not going to go well. And he says, well, it's a gift in the Bible. And he gave him about three scriptures. He said, would you like to pray in tongues? And Cliff said, yeah. He said, well, just pray this prayer after me. And we stood there and prayed a prayer. And Cliff started praying in tongues. And he prayed in tongues for two hours. He became my closest friend. In fact, I just talked to him last week. This is 40 years later. He's still serving God, still in church, still praying in tongues. And I would have totally missed out on that because I didn't want to offend Cliff. I didn't think he could handle it. He handled it. <laughs> and I was embarrassed that I tried to keep him from doing such a thing. And I'm not going to make that mistake ever again. Hallelujah. They want this. They need it. There's two kinds of people out there. There's people that know they need the Holy Ghost and the people that need it and don't know it. But everybody needs this gift. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad God got it to us? Yes. We are the laborers sent forth to, we're not the harvest, we're the laborers, but the harvest is coming. God has assured me that the people are coming. And when they come, we've got to be ready for them. We need to get them filled with the Spirit. 
Hallelujah. Look, let's look at one more and we'll close. Acts chapter 8, and this is uh, Philip. Philip was the evangelist, and this is interesting. Verse 5, Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. That exactly describes what we want, doesn't it? Miracles, signs, wonders, and salvations. Joy in the city. It's revival. That's exactly what we want. And it's exactly what we're going to see. Yes. We're going to see this. But notice, notice they, they all got saved. But that was as far as it went. And, and then in verse 14, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he, the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what happens when you believe on Jesus and you're baptized? You're saved. So they were born again. Philip got them saved. But for whatever reason, he didn't take them on into this experience of the baptism and it wasn't his job. He was good at what he did and he realized I'm not all they need and they got Peter and John. Notice how they worked together. Notice how Philip didn't say, hey, what are you guys doing here? Where were you when I started this crusade? Where were you when I had to raise the money to rent the facility? And, and, and these are my people. You Go get your own crusade. He didn't say that because the body works together. Yeah. Philip was able to get them saved and reach them but Peter and John came to bring them further. He had, he had not fallen upon any of them. Verse 17, and then they laid their hands on them. Now, you don't have to lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, but you can. It is, it's one way that it can be administered. So they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Once again here, you have Peter and John promoting the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promoted the gift of the Holy Spirit. Joel talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul promoted the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you're, you're going to receive this. Wait until you receive this gift of power. In fact, he gave him the great commission. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. That's how important it was. And so I, I have to believe that the spiritual principle, seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be open. Ask and you'll receive, will work. So if, if someone wants to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, if that's their desire, I believe that God can work with them and get it to them, even if they've struggled in the past to receive. I mean, if you believe that. That's what happened to me. So I just encourage people, don't give up, don't quit trying, don't. You'll just get more information. You need to get books like this one. Just read them and let the scriptures sink down into your heart and, and then act on it. But, but uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit needs to come back into prominence into the, in the earth, in the church, so that we can have the power to do what we're called to do. Does that make sense? 
So tonight, we'll talk a little bit more about it, and then I'll talk about how to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll talk about common questions, which are, is tongues of the devil? How does it help you if you don't know what you're saying? Uh, why didn't Jesus speak in tongues? And a lot of the questions that we get, we'll deal with those so you'll have an answer for that, and, and, and take away people's concerns about it. Boy, when you understand what speaking in tongues actually does, you'd want it. It's funny to me because, you know, people are so afraid. I got Alexa, Siri, and who's the other one? Google Assistant, all in my house, and all, and they're in my prayer room and whatever. They're there, and they say they're listening. Yeah, well, they don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I guarantee you, they don't know what I'm saying. They, if they're up there going, "What in the world is he saying today?" Some kind of secret code. Not even the Navajo Indians can crack this code. I mean, it's it's the tongues of men and of angels. Isn't that great? We have a secret me- uh, code that we can pray and speak to God. Hallelujah. We stand up with me. Thank you for... I know I'm preaching to the choir, but if this did for you what it's done for me, it's just so good to relive some of these things and to go back to your roots. But what's more important than that, and I mean this with all my heart, I'm not a prophet, but I'm going to tell you, the people are coming. And to think that we're going to introduce this subject to a new generation of people that are going to be like hungry little birds and they're going to want everything we have to say, that's exciting to me. How about you? That's You know what? That's worth staying around here for. Because I'm going to tell you, life on earth has gotten extremely tedious stressful it's not so pleasant as it used to be but you know what if we can reach a generation with the things that changed us it's worth it and like like somebody said the one preacher said the government's making people so miserable they're going to give god another look they're going to give the gospel another listen because none of their crusades none of their programs None of their movements are working. They're all failing. We got the one thing that works and satisfies. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving it, even though it's caused division, caused some people problems. It's been a stumbling block to many, but thank God for those of us that have received this gift. We wouldn't trade it for all the money in the world. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, the helper, our Holy Spirit who helps us, who guides us, teaches us, and fills us and operates the nine gifts of the Spirit through us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for having your way in us in these last days. Hallelujah. And presenting Jesus to the world. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody say this. Say, thank God. For the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.